Bibles and turn to page uh, Psalm, <laughs> Psalm chapter 3. We are uh, kind of carrying on what we talked about last week. You know, when I said that, um, oops, I made it go away again, Russell. I think I hit the black screen. <laughs> Can you make it go to the first slide of that whole presentation? Um, we talked about if it's not falling apart, I mean, if it feels like it's falling apart, but it's really falling into place. So I'm going to carry that same thought today. If it's not falling apart, then what do we do? And um, this is a psalm written by David. He is uh, the author. He gave it a title, the first psalm with the title, actually. And we all recognize that. That's not David on the screen. Uh, but we all recognize who that is. Um, remember him? He was the most powerful man in the world. He had a private jet, a private helicopter. He had a private palace, so to speak. He had servants at his beck and call. He had everything available to him anytime that he wanted it. When he spoke, people listened. It got in the newspapers, what he said. It was on the radio. It was across the world. And then one day, he resigned. Terrible circumstances for our country, for this man, for his wife, for his family, all because of some wrongdoing that he was associated with in the presidency, and he stepped down out of that position, lost everything in one day. This story in the Bible that we're going to read in a minute is similar to that in the fact that it was about a man who was the most powerful man in the world. What he said, people listened. He had all of the needs that a man could have met. He had everything that was available to anyone. King David had that. And the world listened to him. And he was in control. And he was a very powerful person. And then one day, it all came crumbling down. And the story, as you know, is that his son Absalom raised up a revolt against his father, David, and came in to Jerusalem to take over. And so David, in humiliation, realized that he could not defeat his son and his son's army at that moment. And in humiliation, he humbled himself and he left the temple, his home, his city, and everything behind. And the Bible tells us in 2 Samuel... 12 and 15, where all of this took place, that David hung his head in shame and wept as he left Jerusalem barefooted to escape the revolt of his very own son. So, with all of that being said, sometimes life does fall apart. Last week was more about the world not falling apart, it's falling into place. Today I want to talk to you individually about your life. Hey, it does fall apart sometimes. We have problems, we lose things, we get in situations, our relationships, our finances, our job takes us down to the lowest place we've ever been. Isn't it great to be in church and to be together and to worship the Lord and every Sunday we meet in this place and you come, God gives you an opportunity. He gives you an opportunity to get things right with Him, 
to get your life straightened out with him, to do the things that he has given us in his scripture, to live like he wants us to live, not like the world tells us to live or not like we choose to live, but how God says to live. Every Sunday, he is patient with you, waiting for you to make that right decision in your life, to do things God's way. Well, today is just another day for that. Amen? He's going to speak to your heart today. I pray that he comes from his word and speaks directly to you about your life and what he wants to accomplish in it. Let's stand together and read this story about David and his life falling apart. The psalm is actually like a hymn that we have sung this morning. It has stanzas. There are eight verses. There are four stanzas, two verses, two a stanza. Let's read beginning in verse 1. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are, saying, many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Let's pray. Father, bless today for us. Change our life. Let us see our life as you see it. Let us see our sin as you see it. Let us repent of it and turn to you in truth today. God, speak to us. I pray this now in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, there are times when life does fall apart. So what do I do when that happens? As I said, there are four stanzas to this psalm. The first stanza is the first two verses. Let's look at that one more time. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. You know, another translation might say, there is no salvation for him in God. It could say both because that word in the Hebrew means the same deliverance or salvation so we know uh, who the adversaries are in this story you know david left jerusalem that day with many of his people and he escaped the onslaught of his son and he escaped into the wilderness and he wrote psalm chapter three all right we believe that he wrote it in the daytime we believe he may have written psalm chapter four that night However, and whenever he wrote that, we understand who the adversaries are. Now we can understand that they are numerous. David says, they are increasing my adversaries. David says, there are many rising up against me. You know, when, when things go bad, it starts like a little leak at the kitchen sink. And if it's never uh, taken care of, 
eventually it'll become a flood in the kitchen one day. And so that's the way problems are in our life and relationships and with people that things just go wrong instantly it seems like and, and things happen and it's not ever taken care of. It just festers and grows and increases and it weighs us down. Okay, a little bitty thing in your life can weigh you down after years of neglect if you don't take care of it immediately, if you don't take care of it soon enough. And that weighing down brings fear into your life. And eventually, it brings doubt into your life. And it eventually brings destruction to your life. We ultimately know there is just one enemy. Even between men and women... Even between brothers and sisters in this room, there is really ultimately one enemy. Amen? Amen. It's not you against somebody else or somebody else against you. It is the devil trying to divide and kill and destroy. That's what his goal is. That's what his outcome wants to be. That's what he's trying to do even among people. Notice there. It is only one enemy, and in the middle of that enemy, sometime in the middle of that battle, even with one enemy, we all feel surrounded, and that's exactly what's happening to King David. That's what happens to you and I as well. There are numerous people that we might be opposed to and have opposition with, but ultimately it is one enemy. You need to remember that and think about it. The second thing, David writes about what he's hearing. Amen. He says this in verse 2, Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. There is no salvation for him in God. He's not really God's man. He's a hypocrite. Look what happened with Bathsheba. Look what happened and what he did to uh, the Hittite Uriah. He had him killed And sent him into battle on the front lines to have him killed by the sword of the enemy. David's not God's man. He's a hypocrite. And if we allow those things to fester in our life, people talking, slandering you, saying things about you, whether they're true or not. You know, ultimately, everything somebody says about us is true. Because we're sinners. And we make mistakes. And we do things wrong. And we don't handle situations the way that we're supposed to handle them every single time. And so ultimately David came to a realization that what they're saying about me is true. And apart from his relationship with God, David could have crawled under a rock and died. Just as happily as he did leaving that city in shame. You understand We have to understand and realize that with God, we can overcome these things. But without God, what people say about us is true. We are liars. We are sinners. We do neglect. We do mistreat. We do act wrongly. But with God, we can have victory. We can overcome as Paul writes to us in in the book of Romans. They called him a sinful liar, a hypocrite. But I love the next word in verse 3, but. That's one of the greatest words in the Bible. Did you know that? 
B-U-T. But God. So David sings out his demise. His life is falling apart. But he says, but God. Now, let's talk about you and I before we go to verse 3. What's our first reaction when somebody attacks you? Or somebody says something about you and you hear it. The first thing we all want to do is defend ourselves. We want to stand up and be heard. We want to stand up and and be recognized that that's not so. We didn't mean that. We we didn't really want to do that. So we try to defend ourselves. And when we defend ourselves, then something's happening. Pride starts to swell up in us. Pride begins to take over, and now we become angry. And now we say things that we shouldn't say. And we tell people this, and we tell people that about this person or that person. And now we are no better than they are. Amen? That's what happens. What was David's example? Hey, David could have stood up and stood on his throne, and he could have fought Absalom back, perhaps been victorious. But you know what David did? Instead of allowing that to happen, he humbled himself. And he resolved to dismiss himself and to move away and to stop the pain and the hurt. It wasn't just Absalom and David that was going to be affected by this revolt. It was all of the people. It was all of David's friends. It was all of Absalom's friends. There was going to be a battle take place and David was trying to stay away from that and he humbly removed himself let take that as an example my friend when you get attacked or something happens to you humble yourself if you really allowed it and dug in what they're saying about you is true but if you will humble yourself and uh, remove yourself to a place with God, then you can build that relationship and that closeness with God. What do you do when life falls apart? You humble yourself and you find God. That's what you do. And that's what David did exactly here. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel that he hung his head. The Bible tells us that he left Jerusalem weeping. What was he weeping about? He was weeping, I believe, about the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And the prophet Nathan told David, because of what you've done, the sword will never leave your family. And David goes all the way back in his mind to that event. And man, he has regret. And he's broken about it. And he walks out of his palace, out of his leadership role, out into the wilderness, weeping, barefooted, with his head hanging, and people throwing rocks at him. Amen? That's what happened to King David. You don't have to go through that kind of experience, I hope, but you take the example that David gives us to humbly withdraw himself. He might have been defeated, but he might not have been defeated, and it could have gotten a lot worse. You know, even Jesus experienced something very similar to David's experience. Of course, Jesus was far greater, but here's what it says in Matthew 27. Others mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. 
He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. Jesus hung there hearing all of that. You know, we sing a song, I heard the mocker's voice, and I was one of those. And you were one of those in the crowd mocking Jesus that day in Jerusalem at Calvary. He hung there for you and me. He hung there because of you and me. Amen? Think of it. Humble yourself when you feel that things are falling apart and realize and find God. And just as David has done, what's the difference in David and Jesus? David was in shame and remorse because of his sin. Jesus was on the cross in shame and remorse because of our sin. That's the difference, right? Humble yourself. Not to this degree will you ever experience rejection where you die on a cross for somebody. But I want you to understand the point of it is that we all feel rejected. And what do we do when we feel rejected? We find God. That's point number two I want you to see. When life is falling apart, know who God is and how to lay a hold of Him. Let's read the next stanza, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. The first time that God called Himself a shield was to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And He told Abraham... The Lord, I am the Lord your God, and I am a shield to you. What does that mean? It means God is a protector for us. He is a a defender of us. He wants to protect us. Notice what David says about this shield. You, O Lord, are a shield about me. Not about us, not about Israel, about me. You are around me. David makes it very personal. Amen? Now you can say you're a Christian and you can go to church and do all of those things, but if you have not made God your personal God, your personal Savior, your personal Lord, then you have no idea what it means for Him to be a shield for you. You see, He's not a shield for the lost. He's a shield for for his children. He's a shield and a protector for his people. David makes it personal. You, my friend, must make that personal as well. He goes on to say that God is our glory. Amen? What is that entailing? David was the king of the world, so to speak. The most powerful man on the planet. He had everything that he needed, all that he wanted... And yet David did not find his identity in that, being the king. David found his identity in being connected to God. David realized he is who God says he is, not who David says he is. David tried that a couple of times, right? God said, don't take pride in what I'm doing for you, making you the king over these people. And what did David do? He said, I'm going to take a census. And I'm going to see how many subjects are in my kingdom. And so he sent out people to count. And they all counted how many people were in Israel. And they brought the numbers back to David. And boy, his chest just puffed up and he swelled up. Look how many people I'm the king over. 
And what did God do? He sent a plague all over Israel, killed thousands of them because of David's pride. And David had to repent. And when he did, the plague stopped. You see, sometimes pride affects us that way. Just like I said, somebody says something about me, I'm going to stand and defend myself. David humbled himself. I don't need to count how much is going on or who's what or when or where or how or why because my identity is not in that. My identity is who God says that I am. Your identity is who God says that you are. Here, he, David says, God is my glory. God is the one who I identify with. I have no claim on myself. I am not glorious in any way. I have no earthly self-esteem because it is insufficient. I am who God says I am. And he says, he is my glory. Therefore, God is my glory. Make him your glory as well. The third thing he says about God is he is the lifter of my head. Now what does he mean by that? He's the one who restores me when I am cast down, when I am broken. That restoring or lifting of the head is found throughout the scriptures. It is everywhere, in fact, in the scriptures. And what he means by it, and David said later, Lord, restore the joy of your salvation to my life. Lift me up, God. Let me see again. Let me hear again. Let me look upon you again. Remember, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. When life is falling apart, you need to know who God is. Is He your shield? Is He your glory? Is He the lifter of your head? If He is, then you need to acknowledge that with Him and live a life that shows that. And then you need to learn how to lay a hold of God. Look in verse 4. David says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me from His holy mountain. This crying to the Lord was not a one-time act. This was a habit that David had. He wrote most of these psalms. They were songs to God. They were prayers to God. David wasn't just in the habit of praying when he was in trouble like you and I do. David was one who was in practice of praying to God daily, continuously, conversing with his God and his Lord, getting counsel, getting wisdom. Listen, do not fear the angry world when you have a prayer answering God at your disposal. Did you hear me? Don't fear what this world can do to you when you have a prayer hearing God. Because he will hear it and he will answer it. David says, God answered me from his holy mountain. What does that mean? David's not at the holy mountain. The holy mountain was in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, where the Ark of the Covenant was located. And that represented the dwelling place of God. David was gone from there now. He had removed himself and he's out into the wilderness. Guess what? The priest, Zadok in 2 Samuel says, hey, let's take the ark to be with David. David hears of it, sends word, and says, don't you take that ark out. You leave it right where it's at. Okay? If, if, if I return, I will worship him there. If I don't return, I will bow my heart to the ways of God. Now, that's not quoted from the scripture, but 
ultimately that's what David said and what he meant by the things he wrote in the scripture or were recorded about him in the scripture. He said, if I return to Jerusalem, I will worship God there. But if I don't return and God takes my life, I will bend my knee and my heart to the ways of God. You understand? There are circumstances in your life caused by other people you've got no control over. You've got no way to rearrange it. You've got no way to manipulate it. You've just got to take it. And it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But that's the way God ordained things to happen. And it's for a purpose for you. You need to realize that first and foremost. But understand this, that you're going to make it through it. And if you even die from the enemy's hand because of it, you still bend your knee to the ways of God. Can you do that tonight, today? Can you say that? God, if I return, if I make it past this circumstance, if I make it past this argument, this person, this trial that's put into my life, if I make it past it, I'm going to worship you. But if I don't, and I end up dying in the middle of it, I still bend my heart to you. Say that. Can you say that? That's what God wants you to know this morning. You have to know who God is, and then you have to lay a hold of Him. Amen? That's what David did. He laid a hold of God. He got the answer that he was looking for. Now, you and I must realize, to humble ourselves before God, we understand this, that our only plea is His grace. We can't manipulate him. We can't change his mind. We can't do away with what he's doing or his purpose or his will. The only plea that you and I have is God, put your grace on me. Forgive me. What they said about me was true. But forgive me, God. Help me learn and move past it and go on with my life. Help me to gain a better perspective of you. When life is falling apart, lay hold of God in prayer. The third thing I want you to see is this. When you lay hold of Him, you will experience His peace. Anybody recognize that picture? The disciples in the ship, the sea is unruly, and Jesus is asleep on a pillow in the front of the boat. And they're screaming, and they're saying this and that, and here's what they said. But Jesus was asleep. They woke him, saying, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. When you lay a hold of God, well, let me go back. When you lay a hold of God, you're going to find that peace that you're looking for. This Story here in Psalm 3 lines up with what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4. Let's read that. Be anxious for nothing. Stop right there. Be anxious for nothing. Right? Don't get in a tizzy. Don't get wound up. You ladies, if you have nothing to worry about, you think of something to worry about. Don't get anxious about it. It's a dream. It hasn't happened yet. Men worry about things that are happening. Women worry about things that might happen. God put us together in a marriage unit to live and to take care of our present and our future. You ladies get us men thinking about, hey, she might be right. What do I do? 
I make a little bit of a plan when Gail comes up with something like that, and I'm ready for it when it comes, amen? But I'm not going to worry about it. And I tell her, don't worry about it. So that's what this verse is saying to us in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, means asking, by prayer and asking, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what God wants you to do. When you lay a hold of Him and you are sincere with Him, man, the peace that you don't understand, the peace that you cannot comprehend will come over you and it will guard you and it will guard your heart and your mind. You know, um, David cried out. Look in verse 6. This is the stanza associated with that title. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves, I'm sorry, verse 5, I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Think about that. David's weeping, head hanging, people throwing rocks at him, cursing him. He gets out into the wilderness, safe distance from Jerusalem, away from his son. He starts to write this psalm. He cries out to God, and then he goes to bed. Now, how many of us could go to sleep on a night like that? Probably none of us, but David did. Why? It says in the next sentence, I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. He laid down to sleep, not in his own bed, on a bed of leaves out in the middle of the woods somewhere, with all the problems, with all his people around him, he laid down and went to sleep. Wow. You know, I can't lay down and go to sleep if the OU Sooners lost a football game. It takes me a night or two to get to sleep, right? We worry about all kinds of things, silly things like that. I shot an 85 playing golf. I can't sleep tonight. You know, there's just silliness in our in our worry, we, we, we lose sleep over the least of things. And here David, his life is coming to an end, perhaps, and he lays down and goes to sleep. Why? Because the Lord sustains him. Now, it's a similar story in Acts chapter 4. No, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 12. Peter's arrested by Herod. Herod uh, arrests James, the brother of John, and Herod has James put to death with the sword. And he's, the Jews are pleased about this, so Herod's wanting to please the Jews, so he arrests some more Christians. Guess who he gets a hold of? Peter. He gets a hold of Peter and puts him in jail. And as he's in jail, the night perhaps, or the night before, he's to go before Herod to lose his life. An angel appears in the cell. Peter is between two guards. What does the angel have to do? He goes over to Peter and he says, get up, wake up, Peter. Here Peter is going to be put to death the next day and he's asleep in the cell. Why? Because the Lord sustains me. The next time you start losing sleep, you've got to remind yourself, the Lord sustains me. The next time life is falling apart, remember, the Lord sustains me. I slept, I cried out to God, I went to sleep, 
and I slept and I woke up because the Lord sustains me. David woke up safe and sound. The Lord sustains him. When God is your shield and sustains you, the numbers don't matter. The statistics you see on the television don't matter. When God sustains you, it doesn't matter what the odds are against you. Amen? God sustains you. Remember that. One plus God equals the majority. By the way, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Amen? There's nothing that can come against you when God is for you. Even if you die at the hand of the enemy, you still have peace with God. When you lay hold of Him, you will experience that peace in prayer. The last thing I want you to see is this. True prayer is total dependence on God. Let's read verse 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. You know, David could have ended this psalm with verse 6, and he could have said, Amen, after it. He could have said this, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Amen. But he doesn't end it there. He looks around him that night as he's writing this psalm and he sees all of his companions and all their families and all the little ones. And he sees all the people that he's responsible for. David could have ended his life right there with no trouble, bending his heart to the Lord. But he saw all these people around him, and so he finished his prayer again by saying, God, save me. I'm responsible. I have an, I have an obligation. I have an opportunity. I have much uh, people at my disposal. I need things to be right. God, save me if you would. And God listens to him. But when you start looking around and you become anxious, anxiety begins to creep back in. So David calls out. I want you to notice something that's a little bit uh, ironic here. In verse 1, he says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. That word rising there. When you go down to verse 6, 7... He uses the same word. My enemies are rising against me, Lord, but, O oh Lord, you rise against them. You see, the same word David is using. The same word in salvation, verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But David uses the same word in verse 7. Arise, O oh Lord, save me. You see, the world's going to talk against you. Your friends will talk against you. Your brothers and sisters will talk against you. But God will rise and save you when you call out to Him for help. That's what He likes to do. God, David asked God to render them powerless, to knock their teeth out, in other words, is what he says there in verse 7. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. 
And finally, David acknowledges that salvation belongs to God. David's not depending on his friends that came out with him, his army who rode out with him or walked out with him. He's not depending upon his counselors who are there at his disposal. He's not even depending upon his military strategic mind to get him out of this situation. David is depending on God and God alone. If you do things on your own in a situation where your life is falling apart and you start making arrangements and start handling things and, and speaking to this and speaking to that, and then at the end you throw God in the mix, when the problem is solved... God gets about that much glory. But when you do nothing, and I'm not saying to sit on your hands, but when you start with God, and He instructs you about ways to handle the situation, then when it's resolved, guess who gets all the glory? God. God says, I am God. There is no other. I will share my glory with no one else. You see, God should get the glory in our life as well. And David gives us that example. He's not depending on them. He says salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember that word? It's also deliverance. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. So let's conclude with this. David says, may your blessing be upon your people. Who are God's people? Come on. We are. Christians are. Who are God's people? Some of you might want to say Israel. Okay. The Bible does tell us that Israel is God's people. But it also says that His children are His people. You and I are His people. True and faithful believers. So David asked for a blessing to be upon you. In that verse right there. A blessing to be upon the people of God. A blessing to be upon the kingdom of God. A blessing to be upon the people of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the Lord's prayer is about focusing on the kingdom of God. So what do you do when your world is falling apart and you need money in your bank account? Don't throw up a Selfish prayer that God would somehow put money in your bank account. Because you're not praying about the kingdom. You're praying about you. Don't throw up a selfish prayer when your child goes rebellious and they're doing things wrong. And you say, God, please restore him like he was before. That's not going to happen. That boy or that girl's got to learn. And that boy and that girl needs to have the guidance they need when they were in the high chair up to the time they get a car and leave home. That's where all the teaching takes place, amen? And so when they leave the home, it's out of your hands. And we can pray, oh God, bring them back and make it like it was before, but it won't happen that way. That's a selfish prayer. God, save my children until you, uh, spare my children until you come. Spare my children until you save them. That's kingdom praying. Amen? Pray for them in that sense. This is what God is trying to teach us this morning. When your marriage isn't right, don't just pray that God send me somebody else. 
<laughs> okay? God, restore things. Can't pray it like that either. You can't ever restore it back like it was. What you do is you pray, God, I'm yours, and I'm a member of your kingdom. Bring glory to your name in my marriage. And then listen to what he says, how it works. You might be here today, and you're not in giving God glory by the way you're living. In fact, you're removing glory from him. You're removing glory from his name. You're removing glory from your church body, whatever the case may be. You need to understand God hears the prayers of his children and he will be a shield. He will be glory to them and he will be a lifter of their head. Pray for the kingdom. This is what David did. May your blessing be upon your people, O God. Let me finish with this thought. God can use our worst trials to increase our faith, our trust, our obedience. All we need to do is to know Him and lay a hold of Him, believe Him, and leave the results to God. Today, you might be in a place in your life right now where you are not in that situation that you know God wants you to be. You've taken matters into your own hands, and it's gotten worse. Today you can come at this altar and lay this down. When your life has fallen apart, David gave us an example of what to do. First, you humble yourself. Don't get proud and get bold, okay? That'll take you nowhere you want to go. You humble yourself. You know who God is and you lay a hold of Him. When you lay a hold of Him, then you'll find the peace you're looking for. And when you find the peace you're looking for, then you start praying about the kingdom. And God will line all of that up for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, bless this moment. Father, I pray that I know there's situations on every pew in this room where struggles and trouble is happening right now in a family, in a company, in a, in a, in a home, in a, in a school. I, I know that things are happening like this because the devil is hard at work. He knows his time is short. And Lord, help us to see that. And help us not to get angry with people. But help us to humble ourselves before you and come to you for the answers. And God, I pray this morning that you fill this altar with people who would do just that. Come seeking you. Come looking for your help. Make yourself the lifter of our heads today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Listen.